0: Amen. All right, open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. We're continuing our series on Christianity 101. Remember, people say that all religions are fundamentally the same. I wonder how many of you could uh, give this answer. You've heard it enough times except for what they say about sin, salvation, heaven, hell, the nature of God, the nature of man, the nature and members of the church. Other than that, they are exactly the same. So what we've been doing is we've been letting that be our outline. We've looked at sin, salvation, heaven, hell, the nature of God, and some other subjects in there. But today I want us, this morning and this evening, we're going to be looking at the nature of man. The nature of man. This is such a great passage to begin with. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. And let's start reading in verse 6. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under Him, but we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels. Why? For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became Him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, It's so important that we understand these fundamental, these foundational truths. And Lord, we're so thankful that You have revealed Yourself to us in Your Word, but You've also revealed some things about us. So, Father, help us this morning as we look at this. And Lord, I pray that it's a help. In Jesus' name, amen. I was having um, my senior meeting, graduate meeting, with Logan Bradshaw this week, and he asked me a question about transhumanism. The Bradshaws are on vacation this week, so they're not here. But uh, Logan asked me a question about transhumanism. Now, transhumanism, it's an interesting subject, and it is the blending of man and machine, or man and animal. And that's all been in the news recently, and ultimately there's going to be some real questions about the morality of some of these combinations that are coming. Amen? Amen. Now, look, if you can put an artificial heart in someone and it helps them live longer, I don't think there's any issue with that because when the Bible describes the heart in a spiritual sense, that's the soul, that's, the, that's who you are, and a, a machine can never change that. Amen? And so in helping him find some sources on that, we pulled up a video by Ravi Zacharias that really interested me, and he is talking about the nature of man. And he had an outline in that. And so I am stealing his outline and one illustration. Everything else I'm saying is is different than what Ravi did. And I'd recommend that you listen to it. He's talking about who man is. But um, his outline was so good that I stole it. And I can take absolutely no credit for the, for the outline. Some of the stuff in between you can blame me for. So we're going to look at some of these things. And it was such a helpful outline to help us know who we are. And there are a couple of words that we'll use, but let's start looking at the nature of man. The first thing about the nature of man that helps us to understand is that we are a creation. We're a creation. We didn't evolve. Amen? Because I've got to tell you, they say that we used to have tails. Well, I think a tail would still be useful. You know, you're coming in from the grocery store and you've got you know, bags of groceries you need to open up the door. Wouldn't it be helpful to have that? I think a tail would be helpful. So, <laughs> this idea that we evolved into who we are, that um, video that we made available to you by Ray Comfort, where he is questioning atheists. And he asked this question, What evolved first, the heart or the blood? Because without the heart, the blood's not moving. And without the blood, the heart doesn't function. And so it it really is beyond the realm of possibility to think that all of that just happened by itself. We are a creation, and we could give so many arguments for that. We're not going to deal with that today. What does the creation do? The key to human dignity is the fact that we have been created. Why is it wrong to kill someone? Why is it wrong to kill a baby in the womb? Why are those things wrong? Why is genocide evil? Right? Why is Adolf Hitler looked at in a bad light as compared to George Washington? Why is one better than the other? Because one valued human life more than the other did. Is that a pretty fair comparison? Hitler had a very low view of certain forms of human life, and Washington had a very high view. Why was Washington's view a high view? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's a little different than you have the ubermensch and the undermensch, and you can kill the the men, those lower types of human life. You see, how many of you see that one of those is better than the other? Why is one better than the other? Because one comes from God and the other comes from man. It's a wonderful thing to see that the nature of man, the key to human dignity, is the fact that we have been created. And this is an interesting fact. God created all of us with intrinsic value. He created all of us with intrinsic value. The Bible says this. We looked at it in Hebrews chapter 2. But look at Luke chapter 12 with me. Keep your place in Hebrews if it's not too late. Um, Y'all ever notice I always say keep your place after I've already had your turn? Luke chapter 12. I love this passage. All right, look what the Bible says in verse 4. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. So what does God say? That you have value while you're alive, and then you have value after you're dead. And then look at what he says. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? So that, what the two farthings? That's very little. You can buy five sparrows for almost nothing. And they taste wonderful. You should try just chewing them and fried and crispy. Um, are not five sparrows sold for two farthings and not one of them is forgotten before God. How about that? God even cares about those little sparrows. Um, are there any Amsdens here? We have a bunch of we have sparrows that, that are in our backyard, and Laura calls them the Amsdens. There's so many of them that come in. Here come the Amstens. <laughs> That's a good thing, man. I love it. Um, and here's the deal. God cares about the sparrows, but He cares more about the amsdens It's true, isn't it? Look what the passage says. Ye are of more value than many sparrows. I love it. I was driving. Um, I went up to Indiana, saw my brother, and He's a car dealer and he helped me get my my car, traded my truck in for another vehicle. And I was driving south, and there's a billboard, and it showed this girl with a goat or something, or a cow, and it says, friend, not food. <laughs> it's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Have a great conversation with a cow. <laughs> right? You know, the Bible says that we're worth more than them. As a matter of fact, you can can leave Luke. Go with me to Psalm 8, the eighth psalm. So, when in Hebrews it says a certain place, this is the certain place, and a certain man. Psalm 8, this is a great passage. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and crowned him with glory and honor. Do you see the dignity that's there? Thou madest him to have, what does it say? Dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Look at this. All sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. God created man to have dominion over the animals. We're not in subjection to the animals. So if you want to have a farm and there's a snail darter there, plant your farm. Right. See, we have a world that has they, they've tried to put the dignity of animals in the same place as the dignity of man. That's why I won't watch those Planet of the Apes movies. Right now, first of all, guys, Jay, it's not real. <laughs> it, all of this idea that that you know the, the glory of these animals and the wonder of these animals. Now, I like animals, and I think that part of our stewardship is you shouldn't be cruel to animals. Isn't that right? But if, if we're not supposed to eat them, why did God make them out of meat? Right? See, we have been given dominion over these things. So the nature of man is that we're a little lower than the angels, and, and we're much better than the animals, and we have dominion over those animals. That's what the Bible says, and it's so clear. And can I tell you something? The animals do better when man is in charge. We were looking out the back window yesterday, yesterday, the day before, and we saw the birds. They were kind of going crazy. And we looked out there, and there was a bigger bird. I think it was a hawk. And it had this bluebird down, or blue jay, down underneath him. And these other blue jays were dive-bombing him. And he finally took off like this and had that bird just crunched in his talons. <laughs> Lunchtime. Now, here's the deal. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to get him away from that little bird, right? Survival of the fittest. What did he need? He needed to eat. What was he going to eat? He was going to eat that little blue jay. Well, another time at our old house, we looked out the window, and I saw a blue jay carrying a garden snake up into a tree. I didn't care so much about the snake. (laughs) It's the circle of life. And it's so interesting when you look at the way all of this stuff works, people get it all out of whack in their heads. And when we keep it in biblical order, and I think the biblical order is don't sing Elton John in church. I think that's the first part of the biblical order that I just violated. Because he violates some others of the biblical order, but that's another sermon. So, the nature of man, the nature of man, we have a clear understanding of who we are from the Scripture, and because we're created, God has created us with with intrinsic value, and that's why it's wrong to kill people. That's why the Bible says, thou shalt not kill. It's very clear, because man has intrinsic value. This makes biblical Christianity distinct from both atheism and other religions. Boy, is this politically incorrect? Christianity is distinct from atheism and other religions. It's really important that we get this, and the world doesn't want to hear this. What about atheism? Mao, between 1958, 61, 66, 69, and then Tibet, 1949 and 50, somewhere between 49 and 78 million people were murdered. That's evil, and that was done in the name of atheism. Joseph Stalin... He, between 1932 and 1939, only just two years, 15 million people murdered in two years. Um, Ravi Zacharias in that message told the story of Joseph Stalin. And Stalin was a real little guy. And he was just pure evil, just pure evil. Someone said to him one time, If you starve your people and you torture your people, why would they follow you? And he didn't say anything. He got up, he went outside, he brought a chicken back in, and he sat down and held that chicken and started plucking it while it was alive. Until all the feathers were gone. And he set it down, and that bird was just quaking. He got up and walked away to the other side of the room, and that chicken came and huddled between his legs for warmth. And he took some food and he started feeding that chicken, and that chicken would eat. And Stalin said, Do you see what I'm saying? He hadn't said anything. Do you see what I'm teaching you? If I torture them and I starve them, they'll follow me because I'll feed them. That was Stalin's view of people. His famous statement, if you're going to make an omelet, you have to break a few eggs. Those were people he was talking about. They're people. Understand, Planned Parenthood has that same view of people. You need to understand that Nancy Pelosi has that same view of people as Joseph Stalin. Don't ever let anyone tell you any different. Evil, evil people. Those pro-abortion Republicans, they have the same view of people as Joseph Stalin. Don't forget that. Stalin killed all of those people. Atheism. What about Lenin? Lenin, between 1917 and 1920, 30,000 people were killed. Hitler, 1939 to 1945, 12 million people. Pol Pot, 1.7 million. Kim Il-sung, North Korea... 1.6 1.6 million people. Tito in Yugoslavia, 570,000. Suharto, the communists, 500,000 people murdered. Uh, Pavlic in Croatia, 359,000 people. Ho Chi Minh, 200,000 people. It's so important that you understand that atheism has a different view of the dignity of human life than Christianity does. You see, the biblical view that we are created by God gives us a different value. We place a different value on human life than atheism does. Now, an American upper class atheist will say, well, I don't want people to die. But you need to understand where your subjective morality leads. It always leads to the strong man, as I said earlier, the survival of the fittest. Right? And of course, God said that. Or what Jesus said, if you're going to spoil a man's house, you must first bind the strong man. Who's the strong man? Satan! And that satanic position leads to the murder of people. What about Islam in distinction of uh, to, to Christianity, to biblical Christianity, I should say? One point, uh, 120 million Africans were killed, according to David Livingston, the Baptist missionary. 80 million Hindus, according to Kurnard Elst, in the negotiations in india page 34 80 million hindus 60 million christians according to david barrett and todd johnson the world christian trends 8030 to 802200 page 230 10 million buddhists 220000 jews just in one year 1146 in morocco Adding 17 million of the slave trade done and shipped to Islamic countries. That's written by Thomas Sowell, Race and Culture. 11 million Muslims have been killed by the hands of Muslims, look at this, just since 1948. 3 million Bangladeshis were wiped out by the hands of Muslims. 1.5 million Algerians massacred by Islamists. 1.5 million Armenians. 750,000 Assyrians, according to native Christians, massacred the Ottoman genocide of the Assyrians during World War I, 500,000 to 1.5 million killed in the Iran-Iraq War, 1 million Greeks and then 3 million displaced, 300,000 Ugandans in the eight-year rule of U- Idi Amin, 400,000 Darfurians, according to the United Human Rights Council. 700 I'm sorry 70,000 Kurds according to the suppression of the Darism rebellion in Turkey 1937 and 38 20,000 Syrians killed by al Sad Senior in 1981 For 2010 9,213 people were killed by the hands of Islamists and 16,987 injured Do you think there's been any more since 2010? 2011 9,068 was 16,900 Totaling since September 2001 to September 2012, 19,600 killed in terror attacks. I'm sorry, that's that's the number of terror attacks made by Muslims, 19,600. The total is 290 million victims of Islamic terror. Now, I want you to think about something. I, I was reading something earlier that I hadn't thought about. Not only do you have these 290 million killed, but what about all the children that they would have produced? What about the reduced populations that come because of this? 290 million people. Why? Because Islam, in Islam, human life, human dignity, is clearly not given the same position as it is in biblical Christianity. How many of you recognize that? And I've got to tell you, we have feminists in our country who are defending radical Islam. That is the stupidest thing I have ever heard. I want them to go there. Go to Saudi Arabia and protest. See how well that goes for you. Go to Iran and protest. See how well that goes for you. Now, here's the deal. I'm glad they get to protest here. That's part of our freedom of speech. We don't ever want to stop it. They have, in order for us to be able to stand out and give people the gospel, we have to listen from stu- to, to stupid feminists. But that's the, that's the price of free speech. You know that there are consequences to living in a free society? And part of that is you have to hear things that you don't want to hear. But in order for us to be able to get our message out, they have to be able to get their message out. And see, that's the idea of coming to the marketplace of ideas. The best idea wins. And that's why we see this radical left now. They have to turn to violence because they're out of arguments. right? When they need a safe, a safe space from language, now we have a problem. We've demonstrated that they don't understand the nature of man. And one of the things that our founders understood was the nature of man that you have to have laws to suppress human behavior, and you also have to have laws to suppress out-of-control government because of a corrupt human nature. Our founders understood that. These despots clearly don't. total of 290 million victims of Islamic terror. Now, I have not included non-biblical Christianity because I don't know if it's possible to know the number. You know, there were more than 50 million people killed during the Dark Ages for not submitting to the Roman Catholic system. 50 million. But then the Protestants got in charge, and who knows how many people were killed in Europe by the state church Protestant marriage. Remember, in Switzerland, uh, uh, Balthazar Hubmeier and Felix Manns and Conrad Grebel, they were all murdered. They were religious, they were preachers, Baptist preachers that were killed by the Protestant Zwingli. And then just across the... Zwingli ended up dying in a battle with the Roman Catholics but that was a, a state battle. Michael Sattler, the Baptist preacher in Germany, was put to death during the Schleitheim meetings around uh, 1525. Why? Simply for preaching the gospel. He was tortured. His tongue was cut out. He had chunks of his flesh pulled off by red-hot tongs. And then he was burned at the stake. Why? Because he preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the... What is the difference? You say, is it, is it Catholicism? Is it Protestantism that does it? No, it's the church-state marriage. Right When you have the government saying, if you're going to be a citizen, you have to participate in this church. And if you don't participate in this church, that means that you're committing treason. Then they have every right to kill you. And that's why that separation of church and state is so vital. And that's what we have fought for for all of these years. And here on the 4th of July, we need to recognize that our liberty does not come from a state church. Our liberty doesn't come from the state. It comes because we have been created by a holy God who gave us glory and honor. He made us a little lower than the angels and set us over the creation. And we have intrinsic value. And because of the priesthood of the believer and individual soul liberty, every man is a free moral agent before God. That means that you cannot, as a state, you cannot have the government require you to believe anything. Can I... Get a little political for a second. That's why requiring people to say the Pledge of Allegiance, you need to be careful about that stuff. What if that violates that person's conscience? Well, they, think they can just get out of here. Got to be careful with that kind of thing. What if, you be, what if one day they require you to make a pledge to the state and the state has begun persecuting Christians again? What are you supposed to do? Do you see why it's terrible to require people to take pledges? It's getting real quiet in here. See, we have to be careful that our patriotism doesn't overstep our Christianity because our first loyalty is to the Lord Jesus Christ and His church. Everything else is under that. When, when the state starts to be put over the church, now we have a problem. You notice we don't have the Christian flag in our church? Why, that was the crusader flag that they'd carry to go in and kill people that didn't believe the way that they were. I'm not going to pledge allegiance to the Christian flag. We pledge allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. Amen? Amen. How many of you have been at a church where they pledged allegiance to the Christian flag? You ever been around something like that? Now, they mean well. They're, they just don't know what they're doing and they don't know what they're talking about. You ought to read a little bit about what happened in the crusades where they sent people to liberate Armenia, and they went and killed all the Christians that weren't like them. They killed all the Jews that weren't like them. Oh, and then they killed the Muslims. They'd have competitions to see how many babies they could fit on a sword. Okay, I'm not pledging allegiance to that. Amen? Now, I don't think that's what you were pledging allegiance to when you pledged allegiance to the Christian flag. You were pledging it to this cross on which it stands or whatever, that whole little thing. But you didn't understand what the the Christian flag was. It's a real problem. Amen? Amen. Amen. So the nature of man, the nature of man. We need to understand that biblical Christianity and its emphasis on the dignity of every individual that makes us distinct from atheism, every other religion, and every non-biblical Christian religion that wants to unite the state and the church and coerce people to believe like they do. It's a real problem, all right? Praise the Lord for the truth. Why does man, apart from Christ, behave this way? Here, there's a hint for you. Sin. We are sinful. This is from uh, when we did the the nature of sin and what that was. In fact, the sin question is back of one's theology. That's the study of God. Soteriology, that's the study of salvation. Sociology, the study of society. Evangelism and ethics. One cannot hold a scriptural view of God and the plan of salvation without having a scriptural idea of sin. One cannot proclaim a true theory of society unless he sees the heinousness of sin and its relation to all social ills and disorders. No man can be a successful New Testament evangelist publishing the gospel as the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth unless he has an adequate conception of the enormity of sin nor can a man hold a consistent theory of ethics or live up to the highest standard of morality unless he is gripped with a keen sense of sin's seductive nature. That's by Charles B. Williams. Isn't that a true statement? So when you look out at the world, we can't look out and say, oh, we are so much better. No, 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 no. We have a better system that is based on the Word of God. That's why we have our freedom. That's why we have our liberty. And we must always fight for human dignity. Let me give you an example. There are people that believe that because of what's going on in Syria, that we ought to just go and bomb them. That we go to Iraq, go to Iran, and just bomb them. Make it a sea of glass. How many of you have ever heard somebody say something like that? Do you think that's what God wants us to do? We have brothers and sisters in Christ there. Let's just go kill them because there's some Muslims that don't do right. That's crazy, people. It is crazy. We need to understand the dignity and the value of human life. Now, if you're here and you you don't know who we are, we are for just war. We believe that God has given the government the sword, and it's a minister of righteousness, and they're a terror to the evildoers. That's what the government is supposed to be. If someone attacks the United States of America, we ought to retaliate in such a way that no one ever wants to, to mess with us again. That is clearly biblical. But aggressive war for economic sake is a big problem, and it is sin. It's wrong. We need to make sure that we're not co-opted by war hawks in the government to make us think that in order to be a good American, in order to be a good Christian, you have to be for the killing of anyone who disagrees with you. That is completely unbiblical. Amen? Amen. Amen. We've got to think biblically on these things. Isn't it a good thing to think about on the 4th of July? What was the problem with England? England was not treating America, the, the colonies uh, biblically. They're not treating us with human dignity, and that's what we fought for. That's what we fought for. Not going to be slaves. What is sin? Sin is not a weakness or a flaw for which we cannot be held responsible. It is an energetic, purposeful antagonism to God. That's what sin is. Sin is the tendency or disposition to sin that we inherited from Adam. What about sins? Those are the specific individual acts that we commit as a result of that tendency. What's the answer to all of that? The incarnation. When we're looking at the humanity, when we're looking at the nature of humanity, the nature of man, what is the best thing that ever happened to the nature of man? Jesus Christ became one. Jesus Christ became one. Jesus became one of us. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5. How many of you think that man got better when Jesus Christ became one? Amen. Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Look at what it says in verse 9. Then said he, "Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that He may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Jesus Christ became a man so that he could die on the cross for you and for me, to live that sinful life, to live that sinless life." to pay for sinful mankind. That is why Jesus Christ became a man. The incarnation, carne, that's flesh, Jesus Christ came and took on flesh and bones, became a man so that he could redeem you and me. So why is the nature of man, why do we have human dignity? Because Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, the creator of everything, he chose to become one of us in order to save us. What a wonderful thing that is. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us, that's Jesus, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. On the cross, Jesus Christ, God placed the sins of the entire world on Jesus so that if you could see with spiritual eyes, you would have seen only sin when Jesus was on the cross. Why? So that when God looks at me, he can see the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Think about this. On the cross, God treated Jesus the way I deserve to be treated so that He can treat me the way Jesus deserves to be treated. Wow. The nature of man. Why does man have value? Because Jesus Christ Himself was willing to give Himself for each and every one of us. He tasted death for every man. Everyone, He tasted death for every man. That means every man has value. Every man has value. We value human life. That's the nature of man. Not only do we have creation, so we have value and purpose and worth because we were created. And then Jesus Christ came and He became one of us so that man can be saved. And when you get saved, you know what happens? Transformation. Transformation. Let's look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creature, old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. Hallelujah. Transformation. God changes us. You know, one of these that I think about in this area, there was a horrible man, he was a slaver. He ran a slave ship, and he was so wicked that one time he fell overboard and they they took a gaff. You know what a gaff is? That it's a hook, and they use it to when, you, when you're trying to bring fish in, you grab the fish on that big hook and you pull it in. This guy was so wicked, that's how they brought him back into the boat. And his arm was crippled for the rest of his life. His name was John Newton. He wrote Amazing Grace and spent the rest of his life, after he got saved, preaching the gospel and fighting slavery. Do you know what that's called? Transformation transformation. He became such a wonderful man that people flocked to him. They couldn't believe his kindness and his goodness. What changes a man from someone wanting to pull you back in with a gaff, you're so wicked, to people flocking to you because of your kind words, your goodness, and the, the preaching of the gospel? What does that? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the nature of man. We are sinners and we are sinful. That was why the incarnation was necessary. But when God changes us, He transforms us into a new creature. He makes us new. Then, the last word is consummation. So what do we have? Creation, incarnation, transformation, and consummation. Here's what the word consummation means. Webster's 1828 Dictionary tells us. It's completion. It's the end. Perfection of a word, process, or scheme. The end or completeness of the present system of things. The end of the world. That's, that, isn't that a biblical definition of consummation? Here, here let, me, let me put it on better terms for you and for me. I love this. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That is consummation. Here's the good news. God's not done with you yet. Amen. Aren't you glad he's not? Are you glad he's not done with you? I don't know about you guys. Sometimes I look in the mirror and say, God, is this the best you can do? Come on. I am so glad that he is not finished with me. Praise the Lord. And he's not finished with this world. I can promise you this. I can promise you this. The next life is better than this one. You know, I remember when Jacob got saved and he gave us testimony that he was having a conversation with Laura in the car. They were talking about Stephen Hawking. And, you know, Stephen Hawking has ALS, and his life is really one of misery right now. But he is, a, he is an enemy of God. He is not only unsaved, but he hates God and Christians. And he, Laura was having a conversation with Jacob and said, you need to understand that this is the best life will ever be for him. Because when he dies, it will become immeasurably worse. Think about that. Do you know what the good news is for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone? Eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, North entered into the hearts of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Don't let your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in Jesus Christ. The end is so much better then the beginning. What is What is the nature of man? The nature of man is that we're sinners. We're born in sin. And if you die in your sin, then you'll spend eternity paying for your sin. But God values you so much. He created you. He loves you. He values you so much. You are a creation. He valued you so much that Jesus Christ came in the incarnation. Why? So that you could experience transformation and ultimately at the consummation. Everything is better. Do you know that eternal perspective, that that concept of the consummation? It changes everything. Ravi told the story of Lou Little, the football coach. And he coached at Georgetown and then at Columbia. And he had a player, and he would notice the player with his father, leading his father around and showing him things. And this guy had been on the team. He was a tackle. He had been on the team for four years, and he he didn't play much. He wasn't a starter. Well, they got word that this young man's father had died. And he came back after the funeral. and went into the coach. He said, Coach, will you start me this Saturday? He goes, you're, you're not a starter. He said, Just put me in for one play. Put me in for one play, and if I don't do well, take me off. So he put him in on the kickoff. They kicked off, and the, guy, the, the kickoff went into the end zone. The, the back decided to come out of the end zone, and here comes this player, this tackle, and he hits him on the five-yard line and stops him. He, started to, he had promised him one play. He got up, started to go off the field. The coach said, Stay on. Stay on the field. That, the next play, they decided to take their their world-class running back, 240 pounds. They came right at this tackle that wasn't a starter, and he hit him, stopped in his tracks, hit him so hard they took him off on a cart. He made 15 unassisted tackles that day and 12 assisted tackles. That's a good season for somebody. He did it in one game. They're celebrating at the end of the game, and Everybody had left the locker room, and it's just that young man and his coach, and they were standing there, and he said, "Son, have I misjudged character and misjudged talent? I've never seen you play like this." He said, "What's the difference?" He said, "My dad died, and what you didn't know is my dad was blind, and he had never seen me play. He saw me play today for the first time. What happened? His view of eternity changed the way that he performed. The way that he behaved. Now, scripturally we understand, I think that his dad was looking at Jesus. He wasn't looking at the football game. Amen? Amen. But that eternal perspective that that young man had, it changed the way that he lived. The Bible says, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Why? Because thieves break through and steal, moth and rust corrupt. All of those things happen. But what you lay up in heaven, it's there forever. Nobody can steal it from heaven. There's no corruption in heaven. It's there forever. Your eternal perspective. Understand nature of man, creation, incarnation, transformation, consummation. When we understand who we are in Christ, it changes everything. Amen? I'll tell you what. If you're not in Christ, if you've never been saved, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you need to be transformed you need to be changed by the gospel. And then those of us who are saved, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's will for every one of us is that we be transformed. Saved people. You need to live like saved people. If you're not saved yet, if you've never been born again, that's the biggest transformation that will ever happen in your life. Amen? How did John Newton go from a slaver to a preacher? That's what the gospel does. That's what the gospel does. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for telling us who we are.